Now, today, we're going to focus on the second part of a healthy lake, the lake itself, or this this side-to-side component of discipleship. The second part of a healthy lake is the lake with the pockets of the lake. It's the water that makes up the lake, and therefore it brings us to our second question. Who is side-by-side with you, helping you live the holy and sanctified life? Or who is keeping you accountable? Now, I need to explain both of these concepts for you. I need to explain a holy and a sanctified life. I also need to explain accountability to you. But, I, but think with me for a moment first about this concept of accountability from a worldly perspective. So what happens when, say, someone breaks the law? And let's just say murders someone. What do we hope will happen to the person who commits murder? I think we would hope that this person would not get away with it so that they're out there possibly being able to murder somebody again, but that rather this person would actually maybe be arrested, be put on trial, be sentenced by a verdict and by a jury with, with, a, with a verdict that actually meets the crime. I think that we would hope that this person would be kept accountable, that they would, listen, that they would be kept in check. And this is what this word accountability means, to be kept in check or to, to give an account. And I, what I want to be in your minds right from the start is that accountab- the accountability that we're hoping to offer each other in the Christian life is not just to correct each other and to keep each other in check from the negative things and the sins and the wrongdoings that we're committing, but also, catch this, also to keep each other in check by encouraging each other, celebrating with each other in all of the positive outcomes as well. Accountability is both to give us an account of the negative and the positive aspects of our life. I mean, think about it. If someone's only asking you and keeping you in check about the things that you're struggling with, that you're tempted by and you're failing in, aren't you eventually going to start feeling bad about yourself or getting down on yourself or feeling shame if you're not overcoming those things right away? It makes a lot of sense to make sure that we're also having people keep us in check on things that we're excited about and things that we want to celebrate with them about. Now, with this foundation in mind, I want to move along and give you a fuller understanding of, a, of Christian accountability. Christian accountability is about meeting with a few people that you trust and that are at a similar place in life as you in their relationship with God. Okay, side by side. They're in a similar place as you spiritually. Now, uh, think about Pro- Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Accountability is something that helps build us up and grow us in our faith as we work it alongside with each other. And with this one person or with these couple of people, you're willing to be honest. 
You're willing to be transparent, open, vulnerable, real, authentic with them about about what's really going on in your life so that you can better pursue living a holy and sanctified life for God. And this process of becoming, becoming holy and sanctified takes time. And you're, you're probably not going to start this accountability process with others and begin sharing your deepest and darkest things with them the first week, okay? Now, depending on your life up to this point, you may, some of us may never feel fully comfortable sharing and opening up like this if we've been hurt really bad, if we've been really maybe stabbed in the back by others or they've broken our trust or, or just fill, fill in the blank. But the goal would be that you could find some people, again, of the same gender, that you could meet with on some kind of a regular basis and be open and be honest with them as well as keep each other accountable and help ask each other the hard questions as we strive to live out the Christian life. Questions like, have you read your Bible this week? Have you prayed this week? How's your prayer life going? Have you been keeping your eyes or your thoughts pure this week? How has your body image and self-esteem been this week? Have you been watching your temper this week and your anger? How are your relationships going, especially if you have a dating relationship maybe? Have you confessed your sin to God this week? Or maybe how have you heard from God this week or how is he working in your life? And I have been in a few few accountability groups in my years as a Christian. And the reason for meeting together and asking these questions to each other is to really get behind where we've been that week and catch this, where we've been that week when nobody was looking. That's kind of where we're trying to get at. We also want to know how we're doing at pursuing our relationship with Jesus and growing in our relationship with Jesus. And these people, especially when I was younger, were able to see where I was beginning to drift from the path and of maybe fully growing in my relationship with Jesus. And they were able to help pull me back. But we also cheered each other on. We also encouraged each other. We also celebrated with each other and spurred one another on. And it was a good thing. And it's a good thing to keep each other accountable because Romans chapter 14 verse 12 in the Bible shares with us that, and I quote, each of us will give an account of him or herself to God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, it states that, and I quote, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he or she has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, thank goodness that we have Jesus that gave his life for us and that um, when we believe in Jesus and when we believe in him as our Savior and our Lord, that no longer when God looks at us does he see our wrongdoings, does he see our sin, but now when he looks at us, he sees Jesus' sacrifice, he sees the right relationship that we now have with him as a result. He sees holiness. 
All of the wrongdoing and, and sin has been wiped away. Amen? So, but as Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 also reminds us, Jesus did not just pay the price of our sin so that we could keep on sinning, keep on doing it. Rather, he gave his life for us so that we would no longer be slaves to that sin. We'd no longer be slaves to that wrongdoing and that we'd have the power to live the right kind of life that God desires, the sanctified and holy life. And therefore, this is where having people in your life that will keep you accountable and keep you in check to the good and the bad comes into play. And this is because God desires for us as Christians and as disciples of him to live a holy and sanctified life. 1 Peter 1.15 says, Be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For this reason, I also want to talk to us for a few minutes about the words holy or holiness, as well as the word sanctified or sanctification and what they mean so that we'll be on the same page as far as one of God's big desires for us in this process of discipleship. So for starters, you've been hearing me use these words like holy, holiness, sanctification, sanctified. Now, <clears throat> for starters, holiness in the Hebrew means distinguished or set apart, okay, set apart. And one of the commentators that I was reading states that it is the unique seal or stamp of the divine. Now, this word holy also means to be spotless, okay, set aside, set apart, spotless, blameless, without wrongdoing or sin. This word holy defines God because God is holy. But if we are a Christian, this word holy should also define, catch this, this word holy should also define what we're becoming as we follow Jesus, allowing him to do his work of making us holy in each and every area of our lives, one area at a time. Now, sanctification, or being sanctified on the other hand, is the act of declaring something or someone holy, which is what God, who is holy, does for us at the moment we accept Jesus into our heart and believe in Jesus and his death and his sacrifice on the cross. The very moment that we ask God to forgive us of our wrongdoing and sin, two things happen. Number one, he not only sanctifies us, but he also begins the sanctification process. Now, st stick with me because I'm trying to capture for you, um, there's actually two aspects or two levels of depth to the holiness and the sanctification uh, life that God desires for Christians. Number one, the first aspect has to do with, let's call it capital S, sin. And the second aspect of sanctification or holiness has to do with lowercase s, sin. Okay, so when we believe in Jesus for the first time and we accept him as our Savior and as our Lord, and not only does 
he forgive us from all of our sin at that, capital S, sin at that moment. But God also, through Jesus, deals with and forgives and sanctifies all the capital S sin that we ever will do. Matthew chapter 1, 1 verse 21 says that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And John, or 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This, again, this means that any sin that we've ever committed up to that point is forgiven. And also any sin that we will commit from that point on. Again, this does not mean that we can just go ahead and sin because God's going to forgive us. Okay, see Romans 6.19 for further clarification on this. But rather, we understand that God has forgiven us of all our capital S sin. Okay, sin, uh, he, he takes care of our sin problem so that now we're fully sanctified and declared holy and we're seen as holy in God's sight. When he looks at us, he sees holiness. He sees that we've been sanctif sanctified and we will be in heaven with him one day. So in one sense, the moment we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we're declared holy and set apart and we're sealed for heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We have been sanctified. But number two, we are also, with the help of the Holy Spirit, becoming holy day by day, receiving more of God's sanctification in our lives as we surrender to him and as we strive to live a holy life for him day by day. Think about it. When you, did you stop sinning the moment when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? No. That's because we still live in a world that's dominated by sin. But there's a difference. Once we believe in Jesus, now we have access to the power to help us live out the truly sanctified and holy life that he calls us to by the power of the Holy Spirit. So since we're going to sin and we're, uh, as we're moving towards true holiness and sanctification in the Christian life. Therefore, we also have to bring our lowercase s sins to him and ask him to forgive us and help us conquer them so that we can grow in our holiness and in our sanctification, allowing our lives to look more and more like him. We must remember that God is the one that makes us holy and helps us go through this process of making us more like him. So holiness and sanctification does not happen overnight. They take time. But since, they're now, since we're now holy and we're sanctified in God's sight, he not only gives us the gift of heaven, but he also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. And Romans 2.38 says that. His power and his presence is always with us to be able to help us live that kind of a holy and sanctified life. And for this reason, we now have this power to live that kind of a life. But how do we go about achieving that? How do we go about living the sanctified life? How do we go about 
living out holiness in our lives more and more, especially when it seems like everything around us is trying to keep us from living that kind of a life. Well, following last week's approach, I want to take us yet to another discipleship moment by Jesus this morning to help us understand what Jesus means by saying that what comes out of our hearts is what makes us unclean. Because it, this passage will help us understand holiness and sanctification better. So go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. And as you're getting there, know that this passage is one of the times where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to Jesus and they're trying to accuse him of something that in their minds he's doing wrong. In this instance, Jesus' disciples are there as this conversation is taking place and as this conversation is unfolding. And of course, his disciples, Jesus' disciples are sitting there. They're taking it all in. They're learning. They're being discipled. But okay, all of a sudden in this passage, the religious leaders accuse Jesus. And they ask him why his disciples are eating with unwashed hands and breaking the tradition of the elders. Again, we're in Matthew 15. We're going to be starting in verse 10, but I'm taking you back to verse, verse 1 real quick. So he's asking Jesus, why are your disciples eating with unwashed hands and breaking the tradition of the elders? Jesus responds in verses 3 through 7 by basically telling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they too break the traditions in their own ways. The tradition that Jesus exposes for them has to do with the tradition of caring for their parents in their old age, which, was, which some of them were not doing. And the way that the, many of the religious leaders and Jewish people were getting out of this responsibility was by claiming Corban, that their gifts had been devoted to God instead. You know, look at how righteous I am giving all my money to the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that they could use their money any way that they chose, but just that they were able to find a loophole getting around giving money to their parents if they didn't have a good relationship with them. And rather, they conveniently dedicated their money to God instead, rather than using it to help take care of their parents. But what I want to pick up for us and read for us in verses 10 through 20 is that Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter with his disciples, quite literally, when it comes to holiness and sanctification. Follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 15, verses 10 through 20, after Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their own, or sorry, Matthew, sorry, Matthew. Follow along with me as I read Matthew 15, um, starting in verse 10. Jesus, he's calling out the Pharisees for their own lack of following the traditions of the day. Chapter 15, verse 10 says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, this is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be, 
be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from their heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Now, <clears throat> what, what, we, what Jesus was, he was making a clarifying declaration that it was not what goes into a person's mouth that makes them unclean, but rather what comes out of their mouth that makes them unclean. Now, this would have been hard for the disciples to take in because, and this is why the disciples needed further clarification, because up to that point, they were living by the law. And the law clearly stated that there were animals that they could not eat, and the things that they could not put in their mouth because otherwise it would make them unclean. So Jesus was throwing them for a loop because he was giving the disciples a paradigm shift that would have felt unbiblical to them at first. So in verses 17 through 20, Jesus expands on what he means by what goes into the body versus what comes out of the heart. The wickedness from within, the evil and the sin that comes out of us is what truly makes us unclean. Not what we eat or are eating with unwashed hands as the Jews were accustomed to. One really good takeaway for us here is that we must realize that if we want to be able to truly live the holy and the sanctified life that Jesus calls us to and expects of us, it's, it first starts in our heart. And this lends itself to a really good question. No matter how long we've been a Christian, how is our heart? Is your heart humble? Is your heart pure? Or is it accustomed to evil and wickedness? Is your heart open to learning? Or do you think you already know everything? Is your heart open to correction if that's what it takes? Is the state of your heart malleable and soft? Or is it heart and porous like stone? Jesus is telling us that the state of our heart goes a long way in revealing for us if we're going to be successful in living the holy and sanctified life that God desires for us to live. If we always think we're right and we'll never listen to what others say or never listen and take the time to listen to what God is saying to us and speaking to us, what does that say about our heart? Also, if we're partaking in evil things and, our, and unclean things that this passage says, then our heart's not going to be right either, and we're not going to experience holiness and sanctification in our lives. And I'm not saying your heart is bad. 
okay? Don't hear me wrong here. But I am asking each and every one of us to look inward, to give an honest look to our heart, because this is the place where holiness and sanctification comes from and starts. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And also we know in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, in the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit is ever sent, God says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will, I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And because of what Jesus has done, we now have access to his Holy Spirit to help us pursue accountability and to help us live the holy and sanctified lives that he calls us to. But we have to be willing to give our whole heart to him, to repent fully, and to rely on the Holy Spirit, Spirit's power for entering into this life of true holiness and sanctification that the Bible calls us to. And because this is so, I have one other place that I want us to turn for a couple of minutes to help us know how to about going to live this holy and sanctified life in the midst of accountability. So go ahead and turn to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. And, and as we will see from Galatians 5.16 through 18, holiness and sanctification happens when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, So I say... This is the Apostle Paul speaking. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do, you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Holy Spirit is the one that can give us the power to live the holy and sanctified life that God wants us to live. And when we call on the Holy Spirit, and when we ask for the Holy Spirit's help in whatever way that we need it, a new way of living becomes possible. Because we're no longer living on our own strength, but we're living by His power and by his strength. And when I was 13 years old, I went to a Christian summer camp for the first, well, not the first time, but from while I was at this summer camp, I literally had a time where I just felt so overpowered by the, the spirit that I came back on fire for God and li literally not only willing to live this kind of a holy life that God wanted me to live, but I was determined, I was like convinced, I'm going to change my school. And uh, I just remember that there was nothing like feeling this spiritual high. Maybe you felt something like that before, where you just felt so on fire for the Lord. You just felt like 
you just wanted to live your whole life for him. And something was changing inside of me. And I was beginning to live differently. And it was not me. It was the power of the Holy Spirit in me now, I know, looking back. But at the time, I'm like, what is going on? Like, where is this coming from? And how am I beginning to live this new way? And what I want us to be able to see is that if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh or of our selfishness. And one way to know that if you're making progress in living the sanctified life is that the fruit of the Spirit will be coming out of you. Not, okay, it says in the verse that we just read in Matthew 15, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or in this case, we're going to live differently. It's not uh, we might, it's a we will. We will live differently. And Galatians chapter, chapter 5, verses 22 through 25 says the kind of life that we're going to live. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And against these things, the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. These are the things that no matter like that we need to be living for, the fruit of the Spirit. Not for hundreds of rules that we're not going to live or be able to follow, but if we're living by the fruit of the Spirit, somehow we're going to be following all these other laws as well because we're going to have God's heart. And he also wants us to live out everything that his word tells us to. Now, in chapter 6 of Galatians, we also see that he wants us, as we're living this sanctified life, as we're living this holy life, he not only wants us to do it with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, but he wants us to do it with the help of others. Okay, we don't have time to go and read this passage right now, um, but I want to share with you a couple things that this chapter, chapter 6 says. It says that others are going to help us uh, live the accountable life, verse 1 says. Verse 2 says, we're going to be able to help carry each other's burdens. That's what we can, how we can help each other live this sanctified life, the holy life. Verse 6, by sharing all the good things that we're learning with your instructor or vice versa, right? With, by, by discipleship, right? And we're also going to live this life with others by striving to please the Spirit, by doing good to others, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, verses 8 and 9 say. But this simply brings us back to the truth and the application of what it takes to live the holy and sanctified life that, call, that God is desiring us to live and to, how, to know how do we apply that. And we really can apply that by Christian accountability, which comes 
from being in relationship with others. And by living out this holy life, by living out this sanctified life with the Holy Spirit and with the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives, not only are others going to be drawn to Jesus, but we're going to be reflecting the Son of God and his radiance and glory to everyone that we come in contact with. Now, a couple of points of application for us with regards to seeking accountability in our lives as we strive to live this holy and sanctified life. Number one, have you thought about your life group or your Bible study as being a place where you could build a culture of accountability to help you live the holy and sanctified life? I mean, yes, we encourage each other in life groups and Bible studies. We pray for each other. We study the Bible together. Possibly sing together if we have somebody in our group that really knows how to sing or play an instrument. But how often do we also maybe leave room to keep each other accountable? For instance, if someone is struggling with financial issues or debt in your group, and if your group, if your group is a safe place, and that person feels like they can share with the group, what would it look like for the group to come around them and to help them maybe set a goal or two and to keep them accountable not to spend money on that card anymore, but rather to pay off $100 next month or whatever they can afford? Or maybe another possible example. Maybe it's a person that you've not been able to forgive and sharing with your group, with your life group or your Bible study and asking them to keep you accountable to having the hard conversation with that person, trying to lovingly work toward reconciliation with that person. Now, I get this. I understand you're not going to be able to be as open and honest and transparent with 12 as you are with one or two or three. But what could it look like to at least create a culture of accountability in your life group or in your Bible study in the ways that you can? Second, have you ever thought about finding one or two or three other guys or girls, just, just depending, uh, and, and trying to pursue accountability with them in regards to how to live this holy, how to live this sanctified life, how to live this joy-filled life that God wants us to live. I know our lives are busy, and that adding something like this could be a sacrifice at first for some of us, but if a life of discipleship is what you are after, this could just be the next thing that you need. People that are side-by-side -side with you, that will ask you the hard questions about how, to, how you're really doing in your relationship with God but also people that will celebrate you the things that are going well. So in conclusion, yes, discipleship does mean being poured into by somebody else, as we learned last week. It also means us finding and pouring into and discipling someone else, which we're going to learn about next week. But as we have learned today, discipleship also means pouring into ourselves making sure that we have the right things in place in our lives so that we will be successful in truly living a holy and sanctified life for Jesus, which includes 
uh, making sure that the discipleship that we offer to others is first being lived out in our own lives. Doesn't that make sense? We first need to live it out in our own lives.